Hey everybody, it's JT. What is on your holiday meal shopping list? Well, I would suggest Painted Hills Natural Beef. It is some of the best beef in the world. And your friends and family will be thanking you for a long time if you serve Painted Hills Natural Beef for your holiday meals. And now you can buy it online just by going to PaintedHillsBeef.com. Use the code BBQNATION at checkout and save yourself 15% on your order. Give Painted Hills Natural Beef a place on your table this holiday season. It's time for Barbecue Nation with JT. So fire up your grill, light the charcoal, and get your smoker cooking. Now, from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, here's JT. Hey everybody, welcome to the nation. That's Barbecue Nation. I'm JT along with Dave and Chris and we're coming to you from our Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, Oregon. We'd like to say hi to all of our affiliates on the Barbecue Nation radio network and the Sun and Vision radio networks. Um, How about old fat guys? That's me and my guest today, David Farrell. He's a food food blogger. He hosts a television show up in Canada, and he's also an, an acknowledged expert on smoking meat. Uh, David had some culinary training when he was young. Uh, this information comes right off his website, um, and I take it as gospel because I did the same thing. Uh, but he left the industry, but he never lost his love for food. So when he retired, he started his own food blog. Uh, does a community TV cooking show, published the Old Fat Guy's Guide to Smoking Meat for Beginners, which is what we're going to talk about today. And his second book for Pitmasters is in the works, coming out one of these days. And before we get to talking to uh, David here, real quick, we'd like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. Beef that is uh, raised and produced the way nature intended. And, uh, oh, for a treat, our music today, which unfortunately David can't hear, is from the Guess Who. So I want all Canadian today with you. So how's that? So David Farrell, welcome, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing great. I am very happy to speak to one of my good friends from the U.S. of A. There you go. <clears throat> so, um, and no, I'm not sick. I just have a frog in my throat, so to speak. <laughs> they're hiding in there because they're all afraid. Um I guess the obvious question is, what possessed you to write a book, and especially the old fat guys, which I love that title because I is one. Um, but what possessed you to, to get into the endeavor of writing a book like this? Because I've written a book, and I know it's it's a lot of work. Well, actually, it wasn't my idea. I uh, when I retired, I got my first smoker, and I got in love with it immediately. Sure. And did a lot of work and a lot of research, and I'm the kind of guy who just really goes deep into things. And as I got better at it and had friends over, they started buying smokers. And they had a problem. They were looking for sort of a quick start guide. So I went over to their houses and showed them some things. And they said, you got to write a book. People are buying these things and need to know how to begin how to get started, what kind of smoker to buy, and they talked me into it. Well, friends are known to do that, talk you into stuff. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. How's the book been received so far? Uh, it's been doing quite well up here. Uh, I, uh, I'm not able to do much marketing. One of the things I learned about cookbooks is you're your own marketer. The publishers aren't going to do a lot for you. Right. And I'm, an, as I say, an old fat guy who's retired, so I don't want to spend hours and hours on the road. But I've, uh, I'm have i making a couple hundred bucks a month off of it, which is a nice little treat for 
supplement oh, sure. my retirement income. Sure, sure. So once you got your first smoker after you retired, and we'll get into that a little later in the show of which ones you actually got into and what you were doing and because you cover a lot of that in the book. But do you remember the first thing you actually threw on there and tried to cook and, and how did it turn out? Well, with deep shame, I remember it vividly. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I read the manufacturer's instructions and I followed them closely and I threw a nice big whole chicken on there. And it tasted like an ashtray, which was coated in rubber. Uh, it was an unmitigated disaster. I've actually never heard that description before, David. An old ashtray co coated in rubber. That's a new one for me. And I've been doing this a long time. So how long did it take you to kind of get your skill level up? Well, I, I, I sort of struggled for a couple of months and was getting it by trial and error. When I found out that there's some really good resources online in the form of uh, forums, right? I, I found a couple of barbecue forums that every time you asked a question, you got seven answers. That is and, true. Uh, three of them were actually good. Yeah. Yes. But I you learn to find out who are the good guys to listen to. And I started cobbling the best of what I picked up from those forums. And that's when I really started to turn the corner. Yeah, that is true. I mean, there's some great websites like AmazingRibs.com and some of those, uh, which I'm self-promoting on that because I work with those guys. <laughs> but I've got a lot from Amazing Ribs. Yeah, it's great. Meathead's done a great job over there. But, you know, it's, it's funny because if you post something online or you see a, a topic that you're interested in or if you have a question, you're absolutely correct that you'll get seven answers. Uh, three or four of them are, you know, okay. They're good that you can work with them. They know what they're talking about. And then some of them come in and say, well, first thing you do is you put the chicken in the dishwasher and make sure there's no, you know, whatever. And then you, it doesn't take long to I figure out. That the, yeah. The, it doesn't take long to figure out that those aren't real sharp. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, it, it is fortunate though, that people in the barbecue community are so generous. Yeah. They're very they're, open with their help. They're very open and they do that. So as you were going through this process, uh, what did your family think of this? Did they think, you know, you've lost your mind and you're out in the backyard all the time and the, you know, in your bathrobe doing this stuff or how did they feel about it? Well, my, my wife has always thought I'm a little lost center mm -hmm. and she's been married to me for uh, 45 years. So she's a good judge. <laughs> So all I was doing was going off center in a different project. Yeah. Um, she, she did because of the initial stuff, she was not too keen on the food, but as time goes by, uh, she now realizes that I know what I'm doing, but, uh, she, she was a little upset at me for a while because I pointed out to her, the manufacturer's instruction said, you cannot leave the grill operating unattended. So if I was doing six hour cook of ribs, I had to go and watch it. And of course you got to stay hydrated. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's and, important. Uh, so I, I, she was a little upset that I was tied up and then I made the mistake of wandering off a couple of times and she didn't believe me anymore. <laughs> well, you have to go to the store and get supplies. Well, you gotta, if you run out of beer, what do you do? Yeah. You know, they, I don't know how they do it in Cranbrook, but they, they don't deliver down here. So, you. you know, you've got to be prepared and you've got to, you've got to be well stocked. And 
And uh, it's it's just a matter of practical thinking on my part. That's the way I think. How did you come up with the old fat guys? I mean, um, the obvious, looking at your pictures and, and knowing me, yeah, that's true. But um, it, did people get a chuckle out of that or... Well, sure. What, what, what it is, is for years when people asked me how I was doing, one of my common responses was I was old, fat, and tired. And that's just truth in advertising. Uh, <laughs> and so when I wrote the book, it just seemed to carry from there. That's what people know me as, is the old, fat guy. So, Well, I like it, is. I like it in because when you go through your recipes and stuff and your different descriptions, you put OFG. And, <laughs> and to be honest with you, when I was reading the book, the first time I did it, I, I was looking through it and I said, OFG, what? I've never heard of OFG. <laughs> and I go, and then I'm like, oh God, you dunce, you know, it's all fat guys. I think that's great. Well, uh, my wife uh, says that I, I am becoming the old fatter guy, but I don't think that's a good name. Oh, now let's not get picky about things. Come on, come on. Out of all the things you put in the book, and like I said, in the next couple of segments, we'll start getting into the more of the technical side, but what's your favorite thing to, to, cook or what recipe that you put in the book did you have the most fun developing well i i would think that the one i had the most fun developing is the fatty uh it's not my idea or invention but it's just such a incredible homage to meat and smoke that uh and it's such a good looking result with a bacon weave wrapped around sausage oh yeah oh he made the cover well, and it, and it makes it such a beautiful picture, and people look at it, and they just want to look at it. And then, of course, when they eat it, it's delicious. So I would say anything that's got sausage and bacon has got to be fun. <laughs> well, it reminds me, I saw something not long ago, like on Twitter or one of those, and it and it had this, like, hamburger bun, and it was probably eight to 10 inches high and it was just stacked full of bacon. And, and you see this one little, one little uh, leaf of lettuce sticking out. And the meme was, is this too much lettuce? You know, I mean, <laughs> it's one of those things. Uh, before we get out of here and take a break for a couple of minutes, I want to tell you something. Uh, in 2013, the campaign for real barbecue began certifying barbecue restaurants that cook entirely with wood or charcoal as opposed to anything with gas or electricity. It's been active in Georgia, <clears throat> North Carolina, South Carolina, and Kentucky. The campaign recently announced its expansion into Virginia and Washington, D.C. metro areas. To certify barbecue restaurants, the campaign sends regional smoke detectors to taste the barbecue in their region, talk with the owner, and offer certificates and stickers to those who cook with 100% wood or charcoal. Uh, John Tanner of John Tanner's Barbecue Blog is the smoke detector for the campaign's newest and more th most uh, northernmost region, co-founded by barbecue authorities Dan Levine and John Shelton Reed. The campaign explains all certification criteria and lists all certified barbecue restaurants on its website. To get the full story, go to TrueQ. That's T R U E C U E dot org. Um, this kind of sounds like the beef checkoff program or the organic certification program to me, but you can judge for yourself. We are going to get out of here and take a break and, uh, old fat guys, barbecue, uh, <laughs> Mr. Farrell and I'll be back in just a few minutes. Don't go away. 
Hey everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Hey, welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT. If you would like to email us, it's very simple. It's barbecue, that's bbq at salempdx.com. On SoundCloud and the other uh, social media platforms, you can find us. It's just Barbecue Nation JT. You um, do have to spell it out, though, on those. And uh, our new website is Barbecue Nation JT. Uh, Small case will work on that, too. And it's barbecuenationjt.com. So we're talking with David Farrell, whose uh, book, The Old Fat Guy's Guide to Smoking Meat for Beginners. Um, It's actually, you know, I was impressed. I, I... in my chair here, you might say, David, I get lots of books. I get lots of cookbooks. I get lots of things that people like to send me to see if I'm interested in having them on the show. Um, how much time did it take you to put this together? Well, I took me about uh, 10 to 11 months to write it, but I was uh, totally uneducated in that that's just the beginning of it. It takes another easily year and a half to get the publishing out. Yeah, it does. So let's um, let's kind of start from the front here. And you you have a nice section on describing different types of smokers, um, you know, from pit barrels, which, you know, I have some. You have some Louisiana grill or a picture of Louisiana grills. You know, it's a it's a pellet grill there. You've got a Weber Smoky Mountain. Uh, first of all, which of these do you use, if any of them? And what are your favorites to use? Well, I started with a Bradley electric smoker, and it was a great thing to begin on because it's pretty easy, but it had the the drawback of it didn't get the high temperature, so I built my own little charcoal smoker out of a Weber, uh, small Weber Smoky Joe barbecue and a uh, enchilada pot, or tamales pot, rather, and used charcoal in it. Worked great but is a little small. And then I persuaded my wife that of course a pellet smoker would be much better. And, uh, she didn't hit me too hard when she saw the price tag. (laughs) So I moved up to a Louisiana grill and recently retired it for uh, my one. I love now, which is my new smoker, which is a uh, Traeger Timberline. There you go. There you go. Good unit. And I like, yeah, it's nice because it's good and it's set, but I still use my old charcoal smoker. I like them all. And I have buddies who stick or stick burners. Um, and they, they, they do some great too. And one of these days I might have to uh, just give them a try. Well, they work. Um, people who listen to the show have heard me tell this story several times, but I have the first offset stick burner that I bought in about, 1990 so almost 30 years ago and it's kind of a rusty mess but i do break it out once a year and just for fun and it's a great um it's a great unit to like smoke salmon fillets and stuff on Mm -hmm. and um and i you know it's got kind of crappy wheels and stuff and it's a little wobbly at this point but i drag it out from behind the shop and pull it up on the back patio and my wife looks at me and is like, I'm not eating anything that you cooked in that. But I clean it up. You know, I clean it up. A couple of years ago, I even took a couple rattle cans of uh, 
you know, high temp oven paint and, you know, made it a little shiny again and cooked it. And I noticed she ate everything that I cooked out of it. So we're still here. So it's good. When, when somebody's a beginner, just a raw beginner, David, what do you recommend to them to get started with as far as a, well, I, a machine, a cooker? If, if you're nervous about it being difficult, the uh, electric smokers are a really good start because you just have to turn a dial and they're on. And uh, you might have to feed wood chips into them, which makes them a little inconvenient, or you can buy one of the tube smokers you can put in it that can run for a few hours. The only major drawback with them for years was if you wanted to cook stuff at high temperatures, you just couldn't do it. Mm. It wouldn't go that high. But a couple of manufacturers now have come out with ones that will go up to 400, 450 degrees. So even that argument's kind of going to the side. Right. So for ease, I recommend the electric smokers. Uh, almost as easy, if you got the money, is a pellet smoker. Sure. Again, you set a dial and it goes to temperature. But they're more expensive to operate, and they're a little more finicky than the electric. True, but I think you can, well, one thing versus like a Bradley uh, and say versus uh, your Traeger or Green Mountain or one of those is the volume. If you're doing a large gathering, it's much easier on on the Traeger or the Green Mountains or, or Louisiana, any of them. Pit Boss makes some good units. Um, sure. You know, you can get four or five racks of ribs on those things at one time. Um, and that's kind of tough to do. Uh, I would think in a Bradley. Well, for example, my first uh, brisket that I did in the Bradley, um, I had to cut it in half. Yeah. Uh, you can put a lot of food in a Bradley or in an MES or any of those electrics, but they don't have a lot of lateral space. Mm -hmm. So you're right in that. Yeah, but I I agree with you. You know, if you want to, if you're just getting started and you don't have a lot of space, you don't have a lot of patio space. You could even live in a condo and just have a little um, balcony type thing. Um, Mm -hmm. The the Bradleys and those types of things work pretty well for them, Um, you know, versus trying to lug something through your apartment or your house and put it out there. Uh, we see a lot of people around here that have that, except one of my old bosses, I'll tell you this story really quick, David. One of my old bosses had a little chief smoker, a big chief smoker, Mm. great product, been around for years down here, originally done by the lure Jensen people. And he forgot it and he overloaded it with pellets and went off someplace and it actually burned a hole in the deck and fell down on the, the, the guy's patio right below him because he lives in a condo. So his wife took away his barbecue privileges. <laughs> so it happens. Well, the little, little chief is famous up here in Canada. Yeah. If you live in the West Coast and you or any place where there's fishing, it's pretty well accepted as the best unit for smoking salmon and trout. It is true. That is absolutely true. Uh, I've worked closely with those people for a few years now. And I agree with you 100%. I think it's the best fish smoker out there. I really do. And, it, it you know, it works out pretty well. And uh, the, the unless you're dumb and let it catch on fire by overloading it and stuff and burn through the deck, then I don't think you should really have any problems, you know. 
like that. Um, we're going to take another break. We're going to be back uh, with David Farrell. from He wrote the book, The Old Fat Guy's Guide to Smoking Meat for Beginners. And we're going to talk to him about some of his technique when we come back here on Barbecue Nation on the uh, Sun Radio Networks. And uh, so please stay with us. If you're enjoying GT and his show, come check out my podcast, Around the House with Eric G, where we talk home improvement and design right here where you catch this podcast. Head to AroundTheHouseOnline.com. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT and Dave and Chris are floating around outside doing something like they normally are. Uh, We've got David Farrell, the author of The Old Fat Guy's Guide to Smoking Meat for Beginners. I love that title uh, and it's very appropriate and it's time appropriate, age appropriate and um, demeanor appropriate. I'll just put it that way. We'd like to thank Painted Hills Natural Beef for sponsoring this segment of the show. Uh, beef just as nature intended. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Check them out online at PaintedHillsNaturalBeef.com. So, David, when you when you started, did you have any, you, you had, had some training earlier in your life. Did when it, I'm sure that came to kind of come in handy when you were learning how to trim you know, trim pork butts, trim briskets, whatever. Um, did it come back to you naturally or did you have to kind of rehone your skills? No, when I was a younger man, I did attend uh, Vancouver Vocational Institute and I got some training in the Canadian Navy, which uh-huh. I overcame. <laughs> and uh, what can I say? But over the years, uh, although I left the industry, I've always loved cooking, so I have constantly been, whenever I got an hour, spare hour, making something. Sure. So I, I have most of the basic knife skills in that down. But smoking requires you to learn some different skills. <laughs> and I actually had to break some of the stuff I learned in the culinary world to go to cooking. Uh, for example, in the culinary world, you cook most things by time. In the barbecue world, you cook things to an internal temperature. Right. And not knowing that caused me some early failures. So, yeah, I had to relearn some things. But, yeah, the original skills definitely helped a lot. Yeah, that that is very true because we are so temperature-oriented in this genre. Um, and when I do television, and most of the time when I do television, it's indoors. It's in a studio. It's in a little mock kitchen. So, you know, we're, we're there with saucepans and, you know, skillets and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes you kind of, it's kind of like making a hyper jump in space with uh, star Trek, you know, you kind of lose your mind and forget what you're doing. <laughs> so, and you don't want to do that on camera, but um, I think that's a very, very astute uh, observation there that you have to kind of retrain yourself. Well, once you got retrained, um, the stuff you learned in culinary school versus what you're doing now with smoking meats. Let's talk about seasoning for a second. Everybody's kind of got their own idea of what a rub should be for them. If they've done any barbecuing for more than a couple of weeks, they all like to get in there and experiment, you know, take your salt, pepper, paprika, garlic, whatever. 
did you have to kind of unlearn things from culinary school to make it work uh, right for you in barbecue? I did at the beginning, but then I actually went the opposite way. I started off with the very classic seasonings for barbecue, the salt, pepper, paprika, garlic powder, onion powder. Right. And, but then I started going to bring some of the stuff I learned in the culinary classical world into barbecue. Uh, I love using Burberry spices and I love to use Piri Piri and uh, other of those international like Zatar mm -hmm. from North Africa. And using the barbecue techniques and bringing in those different flavors, I think, has given me my signature for barbecuing. I go a little bit more different flavors, or I go really basic. My favorite for brisket, for example, is just uh, spog, you know, salt, pepper, onion powder, garlic powder. Right. Right. We just call that Dalmatian. It's black, <laughs> okay. black and white spots, you know. Um but I think that's that's really solid. And and you know something? I think that most people when they're when they're starting and that they can get the the spog as you called it, um, get that down to a balance that they like. Because again, it's all about balance. Uh you know, we talk about this a lot on the show. Cooking for competitions is not cooking the same for you're gonna what you're gonna serve your guests at home. They're two different deals. And so I always talk about balance in spices and seasonings. And I think using the salt, pepper, onion, garlic uh, is a great thing to get beginners started with. Well, I, I have the same advice when once the guy's gotten started in barbecue, they all want to make their own sort of signature rub. Right. And what I try to warn them to do is to start off with a really basic rub. I just have four ingredients in my basic rub. And I said, but that doesn't mean you're stuck with that. Start with that and then start adjusting it to your tastes. But try not to put 10 different things in your rub because you won't taste any of them. Right. Slowly build something to your signature. I had a, a very notable chef one time um, who's a good friend of mine tell me that when you get down to using uh, an eighth of a teaspoon of, you know, pick something, cumin or uh, something like that, whatever, doesn't matter uh, what oregano, oregano, yeah, or marjoram or something like that. He goes, nobody's yeah. going to taste it. So his theory was always try to keep like in a recipe when he was developing recipes and stuff, try to keep it so there's like, only four or five steps in the whole recipe from start to finish versus I see some of them and there's Gemini, there's 15 steps in it. And you, and you kind of lose people's interest that that gets a little too complicated for them. I think. Well, it, it's for example, in layering, layering flavors in barbecue is one of the big things I try to work towards. Sure. But you can do that very simply. Like you start off with a rub, and then you apply a glaze and then you put a sauce on it again. Well, that's three different layers, mm -hmm. but you want just three basic solid play flavor profiles for each of them to work together. And it's not a lot of work. It's just goes quickly, but yet you get that wonderful deep flavor that you get from barbecue doing that. No, that, I think that's true. I think that's very true. And, um, 
you know, I've, I've obviously interviewed and, and talked to and, and know a great deal, many, a great many of them. <clears throat> what I get a kick out of, and I'd like your thoughts about this. Uh, what I was, didn't finish my sentence there was people that compete in barbecue. Okay. So well, if you look at Twitter or Instagram or any of the social media platforms, Facebook, and I must see, I've been kind of on a rant about this lately. So listeners forgive me, but I must see 14, 1500 briskets cooked a week and pictures of them <laughs> on there. And they, and one lady was here in the studio yesterday and we were talking about it. And she said, you know, maybe it's just the photography, but a lot of them look like they're really, really, really overcooked because the bark so much is so black and dark. And I said, yeah, but you know, different styles around the country and stuff. Uh, but I will say there's only so many pictures you can take of a brisket and make it look appetizing and entertaining. I'd like your thoughts on that. Well, for me, for brisket, the hardest part is uh, how, how the bark does come out. Right. Because I don't like as really black bark as some of the people do. Uh, I found wrapping in papers the good middle ground for me mm -hmm. uh, in butcher paper. Uh, but I have a friend who does his with no paper. He just cooks that brisket, comes out reasonably moist, and it's really dark and it tastes really good. Yeah. Yeah. But what I'd encourage people to do is to try my, I go for paper. I go for quite a dark bark. Uh, I think it gives you still the really nice soft bend test and pull test if you use paper. Sure. But I really encourage people to try one in foil, one in paper, and one without anything. And then it, it adjust it to your taste because then there's how long do you leave it before you wrap it? Uh, how much do you trim it? Uh, but you've got to try the different ones because he prefers his without any wrapping. Yes. I prefer mine with paper and some people swear by foil and they're all right. Don't let somebody else tell you how to do it. Do it the way you like it. That's what I like. Yeah. I think that's very good advice. And, uh, you know, because you can, there is no 100% correct way, like you just said. And there's also, if you like what you're serving, to people or you're consuming yourself that's what it's supposed to be about really you know if it makes you happy to do it and eat it great um i think sometimes we get lost minutia of some of these things like this is the only you know this is the only uh you know deal we can do it's got to be perfect like this well nothing's perfect so you know make yourself happy that's why we do this stuff well, I just ran into that. I did a post on uh, Facebook to one of the forums on Facebook on, uh, I like to do a buffalo wing by injecting melted butter and the buffalo sauce into the wing before I cook it. I saw that. Yeah. And, and, uh, I got back on one of them. That's wrong. You can't do that. There's more than enough fat in chicken. You shouldn't be injecting it. Well, no, you shouldn't be injecting it because you don't like it that way. Don't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. So don't let the, the uh, I refer to them as the barbecue gods. Gods <laughs> are sometimes wrong. Do what you like. Right. Well, look at Zeus. He was always screwing stuff up. If, <laughs> you know, he was always doing that. Uh, we're going to take a break. David Farrell uh, and the name of his book is The Old Fat Guy's Guide to Smoking Meat for Beginners. And David is coming to us today from Cranbrook, British Columbia, straight north of me, actually. 
about 300 plus miles, but um, we're going to be back in just a minute. Don't go away. It's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, and you're not. How's that? Uh, We're talking with David Farrell today. Uh, my kind of guy, like I said, old fat guy's guide to smoking meat for beginners. Um, David's our neighbor to the north, Canada, and Cranbrook there in the BC province. And um, I'm sure he and I will have a great time together one of these days <laughs> because it was, we're similar. We, you know, similar as a tract, I guess, not a, in barbecue, similar as a tract like that. What was the toughest thing, David, about writing the book for you? The hardest thing was trying to put it in terms that a beginner would understand. You know what you know, and you assume everybody else just knows that as a fact, especially in cooking. And when I first started, my friends asked them to have a look at it. They had no idea what saute meant. A lot of old guys like me who start smoking and never touched anything in the kitchen. So I try, had to make the steps that were understandable to somebody who'd most likely never done much in the kitchen. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Cause it, a kitchen can be a completely foreign language and a foreign country to people if they're not used to it. Well, you better not talk about uh, fricasseeing or, uh, <laughs> or how to do sous vide until they've been in it for a while. That's true. Cause when about the time you say, well, we're going to put this in a, plastic bag and put it in hot water for 24 hours. And they look at yeah. you like, huh, what are you doing? <laughs> they, you know, they want to call Gibbs on NCIS or something. Come get this guy. He's <laughs> lost his mind. Um, what was the most gratifying thing about doing the book, David? Uh, the people who got back to me saying that it helped them. Um, I've got some friends in Montana who got drunk up and about seven guys went out and bought a smoker all at the same time. And they got my book and I went down and worked with them for a day and we drank a lot of whiskey and cooked a lot of food and they've all kept on with it. Getting people to smoke is what I was trying to do. Smoke meats, not just smoke, smoke. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're smoking other stuff, I don't want to hear about it. Okay. Well, most of it's legal in the States anymore. So, <laughs> you know, I guess you can do both if you're, you'll probably be really hungry and want the brisket, you know? <laughs> so you got it. That timing's got to be right. Cause you couldn't smoke a lot of stuff and then have to wait 12 hours to get a brisket. That wouldn't work for you at all. You, you're going to be eating a box <laughs> no, of Cheerios. My friends, are, we're all too old for that stuff. Yeah, I understand. I'm right there with you. Um, so on your next book, you're you're looking at you know more of a pitmaster type 
elevated information. How's that coming along? It's coming along really well. Uh, I, I've already, for example, I te- teach people how to make bacon. And I teach people how to make summer sausage and smoked cheese. And I have a whole bunch of friends here in town now who don't buy their own bacon anymore. I ruin them for store about bacon forever because homemade is easy and so much better. Sure. And they never thought of making bacon in their smoker. And I'm doing some more international cooking, getting them trained on uh, how to do uh, what we used to call Indian candy. And I'm, uh, for political correct reasons, I now call uh, candied salmon. Those kind of things that they never thought of. They only thought of the sort of the basic pulled pork, brisket, ribs things. Right. Uh, so they already have got friends doing it and I'm anxious to get more people to spread their wings and try to do their own Montreal smoked meat or bacon or how to do a competition style thighs. Although I refer to them as PIA, a pain in the pants, (laughs) but yeah, competition style stuff's definitely got its own cachet, but it's a lot of work. So, but I wanted to get into how to do that. Well, I'll tell you, if you learn how to smoke your own bacon, you'll never buy that really thinly sliced, you know, you can hold it up after you pull it out of the package and it wiggles and you can almost see through it. Uh, That doesn't become bacon for you. That is something that should be cooked and ground up for bacon bits on your salad or something. You know, that's the way I look at it. Well, I hate the way when you put it in the pan, it boils instead of fries. That's true. That's true. I've never heard it called that, but I think that's very uh, appropriate. It does boil like that. How can people find your book? By the way, folks, David's going to be with us for the after hours. So if you listen to the podcast version of this after you're done on the radio version, um, be sure and stick around and find the uh, after hours segment because that's going to be some some fun. But how can people find your book? Uh, It's available on all the major uh, online sellers. But I would encourage people to uh, go to their local bookstore and support their local businesses. And if you go to our website, it's got the ISBN number, which is the number you got to give to your bookstore so they can order it. Right. So wait a bit longer for it and give the local bookstore. But if you want, it is available through Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and all that. It's also available on all the electronic Apple and Amazon, Kindle and that kind of thing. Uh, which will save you a few dollars, but I've never really enjoyed doing a book from uh, a tablet or whatever. But if you're into that, it's available through those as well. There you go. I'm kind of a hardcover guy myself, so to speak. And that's what I bought when I bought your book, because um, we have a Kindle or whatever they are, but I never use it. So anyway, um, David, thank you and stick around. We'll do the after hours. Before we get out of here for the week, I've got some good news for you. Meet support. Meat prices drop as supplies rebound. Uh, Ground beef and pork loin prices have returned to pre-pandemic levels following an initial price surge caused by the supply challenges due to COVID-19. Now, prime rib and chicken wings are even cheaper than before the pandemic pandemic began. Can't say it right today. According to uh, Nielsen data. Uh, In early September, prime rib steaks sold for an average of $7.15 per pound down more than 11% since the beginning of the year. New York strips prices are about 8% lower and beef brisket prices have fallen nearly 20%. Due to low exports, prices for chicken uh, leg quarters have also dropped nearly 40% compared to 2019 levels. This is all according to executives at Sanderson Farms, 
Uh, it's one of the top poultry producers in the country. The U.S. Department of Ag figures show that meat processing has not only resumed, but is now largely exceeding year-over-year levels. Increased production and reduced demand have lowered wholesale meat prices as well. Gordon Food Service Incorporated, one of the largest restaurant food distributors, is selling beef cuts for half of what they cost several months ago. But despite production increases, Tyson Foods, the country's largest meat company by sales, recently estimated that one about 1 million cattle and 3 million hogs still remained backed up in the U.S. feedlot system uh, and still clear back to the farms due to the previous slaughterhouse shutdowns. You can find out uh, more about this in, in several places if you want to read the stories. And um, we're going to get out of here now for the week. I think um, old fat guy like myself for joining me today, Dave Farrell. And we'll be back next week with another edition of Barbecue Nation. I hope you all have a great one and take care. Barbecue Nation is produced by JTSD LLC Productions in association with Envision Networks and Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.